And welcome into Mile High Magazine. It is Murphy Houston on a Sunday. We hope you are safe. We hope you are well. We hope you're staying inside, wearing a mask, washing your hands, six feet distance apart, all that stuff you need to be doing as we still fight the coronavirus. And joining us today is a fellow we've had on before, Andres Guerrero, who's the manager of the Opioid Overdose Prevention Program. Andres, how are you, buddy? Very well. How are you? Good. Are you hunkered down? I'm hunkered down. I'm not going outside, uh, uh, you know, washing my hands, doing everything I'm supposed to do. I think I've washed my hands so much the skin's coming off the bone. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But you got to do it, right? You got to do it. Oh, yeah. It's very sure. important. This is very serious. Well, speaking of very serious and very important, that's the job you have at the, Ober, Opi, uh, the Opioid Overdose Prevention Program. And Andres, for those that don't know, just exactly what are opioids? That's a great question. So opioids are chemicals uh, that interact with the opioid receptors in a person's body. And what they do is they reduce pain. Um, so all opioids come from uh, either natural or synthetic. Uh, they can be from the opium poppy, right? Um, or they can be something that's made in the lab. So some of the really common types of opioids that people might see or hear about um, the big one, fentanyl. People are hearing a lot about fentanyl right yeah, now. Yeah, that's a lot. Is There's a lot of that on the yeah. street, isn't there? There's a lot of fentanyl on the street. And the fentanyl that you see on the street is actually not the pharmaceutical fentanyl. It's not made in a lab. It's actually made in uh, clandestine labs, you know, and, and brought in. Um, sure. Another one is heroin. That's another big one that people hear about. Heroin is an opioid. And then there's a lot of stuff that people are prescribed that are opioids as well. Some of those are oxycodone, hydrocodone. Um, codeine, which you see in cough syrups, uh, morphine, um, you know, those types of medications, those opioid pain medications also are causing some issues. And they're pretty dangerous, aren't they, these opioids? And why is that so? They have a high potential for uh, people to abuse them, especially if people are not following the doctor's prescription orders, right? right. So it's really important that if people are prescribed opioids that they follow the instructions that the doctor has given to them to use those opioids. If you use them according to the directions that the doctor gives you, and if you reach out, if you have any issues, then generally you're going to be okay. The problem is when people start to overuse them, take them, um, or taking other people's medications, um, that's when issues really pop up. Well, and that's been a problem that's been going on for a while is that the doctors prescribe them, and all of a sudden, People start taking more than they should. But as a result right. of that, Andres, see if you can verify that with me, that the doctors have been approached to slow down on how many pills you're giving out. Make it as little as possible so you can control it more. Is that true? That is true. So we have actually done quite a bit of work around the state to make sure that, you know, providers, medical providers, doctors, you know, nurse practitioners, those folks who have the ability to prescribe these medications understand uh, you know, how to prescribe them. And you're right. It's a lower, they want to do a lower dose, a lower strength for a shorter amount of time to see if that gets the people through um, that acute pain that they may be having for something like surgery or, um, you know, a, a broken arm or something like that. So there's definitely a place for these medications. Make no mistake about it. They are very good at what they do, which is to reduce or eliminate pain. Um, but you have to use them the way that they were intended to be used. And we've been doing uh, a lot of work making sure that the providers understand, you know, that there are risks with these medications that need to be addressed 
whenever they're prescribing these types of medications. But I'm sure even as a, that is going on, Andres, uh, the overdose problem continues in Colorado. And how does Colorado compare to other states in the union as far as opioid overdose? So Colorado's in the middle. We're definitely not doing as badly as, uh, you know, some of the other places, especially, um, you know, along the eastern coast. Um, some in the Midwest, some areas have been hit very, very hard. Um, Colorado, I think, has done a very good job of responding to the opioid overdose problem. Uh, and for that reason, we are somewhere in the middle. So there's always room for improvement. We can definitely do better. Um, and we're all working on that very hard at the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, and specifically with my program. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we're doing pretty well. Well, I think you and I talked about this topic, what, maybe six months, maybe a year ago now. Gosh, time goes by so fast. Yeah, I think it was about a year ago. <laughs> so has it gotten worse since we talked last? Actually, what's interesting is I've got good news and bad news. So the good news is it appears that the overdose uh, deaths have actually started to level off for opioids, but we've seen an increase in overdose deaths related to stimulants like cocaine and methamphetamine. So unfortunately, as we've tried to you know, work on, on the opioid problem, the stimulant problem has kind of cropped up a little bit. So we're working on that one too now as well. Um, but that's, that's what we've seen in the last couple of years is kind of a leveling off of the opioid overdoses um, and then an increase in the number of overdoses related to stimulants, unfortunately. So with the result of stimulants going up and even opioids kind of plateauing right now. Do you see an increase because of the topic we're all talking about, Andres, the uh, pandemic, COVID-19, has that caused more problems for people in Colorado? Um, specifically around the opioid uh, problem, the, the problems are more around getting access to treatment now. So folks are supposed to stay in their homes. Um, and so it makes it a little bit more difficult for people to actually get out and get the medications. A lot of the treatment uh, that's really successful for opioids is medication-assisted treatment where they have to go and get medications, um, you know, and go to counseling. And so a lot of that stuff is, you know, they've been scrambling like everyone else to switch things over to, you know, kind of an online or by phone sure. um, mode of doing things. So that's really where um, we're seeing uh, challenges, but those challenges are definitely being addressed. And so you don't see because of the pandemic, the use of them is up at all or maybe the stimulus products you talked about a minute ago? We haven't seen it yet, um, but that actually is a valid concern because people are inside. They're not having their normal social contacts. Um, you know, people are tending to drink a little bit too much, maybe use pills a little bit too much, um, you know, and that sort of thing to be able to cope with the stress of the situation. I think everyone's under a lot of stress. So um, although we haven't seen those increases as of yet, um, I'm sure when we start to look at the data, you know, the data from right now that we're going to get next year, um, I'm sure it's going to show, you know, probably, uh, you know, a little bit of a bump up would not surprise me at all. No, not at all. And, and what, and I don't know if you even know the answer to this, Andres, but would the use of opioids or stimulus help those going through the coronavirus with the pain? Because you hear about some cases, these people are in a great deal of pain. And if, they have symptoms and they're at home. Maybe they're reaching out to these stimulants to kind of help them. Is that going on, you think? It's, I mean, it's definitely a possibility. Um, I think all, all substances right now are at risk for people abusing them just because people are sitting at home a lot more and, um, you know, they, people are 
bored, they're stressed out. Um, and, you know, using substances is one way, um, not a positive way, but it is one way to deal with that kind of stress. So that, that would not surprise me. Well, that's hopefully not happening. I wanted to ask yeah. you, too, because I we deal a lot with, with the seniors. The seniors are really being urged to stay in with the, the COVID-19 virus out there because they're very... I have a very big chance of being affected by it, but the seniors seem to be using more opioids. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, we. I mean, just because you know seniors tend to have more chronic pain, um, so the, the opioid prescription rates for seniors are higher than for the general population. Um, but there are things that seniors can really do to make sure that they're, you know, helping themselves. You know, when it comes to opioids. Uh, one of the things that's really important, like I said earlier, is to make sure you're using your medications as they are prescribed. That's very important. Um, another one is to ask about, don't be afraid to ask your provider about alternatives, right? So if they tell you, okay, we're going to give you this hydrocodone, ask them, hey, is it possible that I might be able to use a non-narcotic pain reliever over-the-counter pain reliever? Would that give me, um, you know, the same amount of relief? Um, you want to also make sure you tell your doctor of any medications that you're taking, um, this is big, especially for our seniors that may have several different doctors that they're seeing on a regular basis. Um, they may not, the, the doctor may not know what other medications you're on. And sometimes we see, unfortunately, overdoses where somebody's taking an opioid and then they're prescribed something like a benzodiazepine from a different doctor and they take them both at the same time and that causes an overdose. Well, that almost, um, that almost holds true for any meds, right, Andres? So you better have a list absolutely. of what you're taking before. Because seniors, you know, obviously the list grows with the meds you're taking the older you get, unfortunately. So right, you got to keep right. track of all that stuff, don't you? Yeah, it's, and it's not easy to keep track of. So one of the things that I've told people is if it's too much to actually go through and write all those down on a piece of paper, go ahead and throw in a bag and take them with you so they can see them. Um, because I mean, even some of the medications that I take, I'm looking at, I'm like, how do I spell that? <laughs> so it's, it's not easy to write them down. Sometimes you want to make sure that you can just, uh, if you don't have that list ready or you don't have somebody that can make that list for you, um, don't be afraid to just throw them in a bag and take them with you when you go to see the doctor. So they know all the different medications you're on and that's going to help them to avoid any sort of, you know, interactions that would be uh, detrimental to your health. Well, I've heard, unfortunately, here in, in Colorado, in Denver, that when seniors run out of opioids and they can't get another prescription, they actually go out and drive around to buy heroin because it works as well and it's cheaper. Is that true? Unfortunately, heroin is pretty cheap in, uh, in the Denver metro area and in Colorado in general. One of the things that's really important is um, for people to make sure that they are taking care of the medications they have in their home because some of those uh, opioid pills can be anywhere from 40 to $60 per pill on, That's right. on the street. That's what they're worth, um, right. whereas heroin's, you know, $20. So, yeah, th there is a price difference there, unfortunately. Yeah, and the seniors should stay away from that stuff. But let's talk a little bit about fentanyl. We know the name, but we don't hear it as often because it's relatively new, but it's really picking up in usage. Talk about that one a little bit. Yeah, so fentanyl is especially dangerous because it's a very, very strong opioid. And what what's been shown is that some of the folks that are manufacturing this illicit fentanyl are not telling people that it's actually fentanyl and they're making it look like other types of pills. So again, this, these are all fake, basically fake prescriptions. They look like, like a prescription opioid. Um, it looks like a Oxycontin or it looks like a hydrocodone, but it's right. actually fentanyl, right? So that makes it very dangerous because the person thinks, Oh, I just bought this on the street and it's a hydrocodone pill, and I've taken those before, and I know what it does. 
and there might be too much fentanyl in it, right? And that's when it's going to cause an overdose. Well, just the fear of buying fentanyl on the street. You don't know where it's made. You don't know what else might be mixed in. You don't even know what it is. Exactly. Yeah, you have no idea what's in any of these medications or these drugs that you buy in the street. Um, They use all the sorts of different methods to make them. Um, They use all sorts of different things to cut them, you know, to, to... decrease the potency and be able to get more money out of a dose um so you don't know what's in them it's very dangerous yeah and that's for all age groups not just seniors we don't want to think the seniors are just doing that but it's something you all need to be aware of and we're talking to andres guerrero the manager of opioid overdose prevention program here in the state of colorado and as you said the taking of these drugs might be increasing because people are not working they're hunkered into their house it's not the lifestyle they're used to a lot of problems with that. What do you recommend for help, Andres? What can they do now? Where can they go for help? So there is help available, and that's an important uh, point that you bring up. So I guess the first point would be to seek help if you need it. So if you've been taking opioid medications and maybe you started taking too many or you feel like it might be sliding out of control, um, help is out there. Um, recently, you know, there's been a lot of federal money coming into Colorado to increase access to drug treatment across the state. So I remember uh, 20 years ago, it was an uncommon that, you know, you had to drive very, very far to access drug treatment, especially if you lived outside of the Denver metro area. You know, there were people that would come all the way from Grand Junction to Denver just for, you know, to to undergo drug treatment. Um, And so that that has really changed. Uh, We've had a lot of funding and we've really been able to expand that medication assisted treatment, you know, which is very effective. Um, for people that are suffering from opioid use disorder, we've been able to push that into some of the very, very rural parts of the state uh, where it didn't exist before. Yeah. Good. So, is there a so website is, they can go to get information, Andres? Yeah. So, there's a couple of uh, of, of uh, websites. The first one I wanted to talk about was called TakeMedSeriously.org. Okay. And yeah, TakeMedSeriously.org is a great resource for folks that, let's say, you have uh, medications in your cupboard and you want to get rid of them. Um, but you don't know how, this website actually tells you where you can go. Okay, great. Yep. Um, And so we have medication drop-offs in, I think, every single county in Colorado except for two. The last time I checked, we still had two counties that didn't have them. Every other county has them, which is pretty impressive when you think about the fact that, you know, we have a lot of very rural parts of Colorado. Great. Um, That's great. That information is on the website? What is the website? Yep. It's called Take Meds. Seriously.org. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Well, Andres Guerrero, manager of opioid overdose Inform- uh, prevention program. You got some more for me before I have to go on? Um, I think just to remind people not to share their medications, be careful with where they store them at, and make sure they dispose of them properly. It's all very important points. You're a good man, Andres. Keep up your good work, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Murphy. You bet. And this is Mile High Magazine. I'm Murphy Houston, and we'll be right back with more. Now we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. And welcome back. It is Mile High Magazine, and it's time for our weekly visit with Dr. John Douglas, who runs Tri-County Health here and is formerly of the CDC. John, how are you doing? Uh, Doing just fine, Murph. That's great. How are things over at the building? Well, we've had some scary stories coming out of what people are kind of attacking you. Well, these are these are unsettled times. Uh, we have a really the unprecedented situation of a global pandemic. 
you know, potentially worse than anything we've seen in 100 years from a health perspective. And then we have this terrible parallel situation of an economy that's just in free fall. Um, and frankly, there's some intersection between the two and the steps that have been taken to try to reduce transmission and uh, preserve the hospital resources from being overwhelmed has uh, put businesses on hold. Uh, we have a record unemployment rates. We have uh, folks that are feeling really desperate about their businesses not being able to open. So it's a it's a really uh, a concerning situation. And frankly, some people are angry at the role Tri County has played in that. Well, um, you got to be careful. That's your first obligation, right, Doc, for health, for protecting. Well, absolutely, people. and 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 we certainly want to be. I mean, we want to be frankly attentive to the health of our own staff. We we certainly are attentive to the health of the community, but. Health, health uh, covers lots of territory, and we want to be really careful that we balance what's being done to contain the epidemic with other uh, issues that could impact health because of, I mean, when you lose your job, that's not good for your health. If oh, you lose gosh. your health insurance, that's bad. Uh, if you're a kid that can't go to school who may even be at risk of child abuse and neglect, there's been some concern that could go up. I mean, there's... there's there's health implications every way you look around. Well, on the brighter side of that, uh, some states, including our own state of Colorado, are slowly beginning to open a few things at a time. How's that going in Colorado? What have you heard? Our, our coronavirus epidemic, is it growing more? Is it still about the same? Is it getting still better? You know, we're in what's been called a, kind of a flat plateau. Um, we're not... You know, a couple of, I don't know, about a month ago, the White House said, hey, what you should do is when your uh, numbers of cases have been falling regularly for 14 days in a row, that's your green light. That's when it's okay to go ahead. The problem with that strategy is that we haven't had enough testing, and we're getting more testing, which is good. But more testing means we're finding more positive cases, and it means it's tough to see a decline when you're kind of playing catch-up with detecting cases. So the steps that have been taken have been to try to gradually open up businesses. Um, I think that's honestly going pretty well. There's a process by which counties who want to open more rapidly can put in requests. We've been working, for example, with Douglas County on what are called variances, and we haven't heard back yet, but they, frankly, they've been very thoughtful about it. And while it's moving more slowly, I think, than most of us would like, I think it's a process that if we could sort of uh, maybe grease the wheels a little bit could be quite effective in terms of safely getting us to a more open place. Well, you deal mainly with Adams, Arapahoe, and Douglas County. How are Arapahoe and Adams doing? Well, they uh, we, we maintained a longer, more restrictive set of orders, something called stay at home, which limited uh, business openings a little more stringently. That went on through last Friday. As of Saturday, they were in the new environment. It's called Safer at Home, right. which allowed many more businesses to be open again. Uh, we think that bought us really important time in those two counties to increase testing capacity and to uh, uh, bring the uh, transmission and infection not perfectly under control, but somewhat better under control. Now, I will note, because it's been in the news, that one of the sets of businesses that is not fully open now are restaurants. And restaurants have been able to do takeout, but frankly, takeout's 
not the old business model, and, and many of them have had trouble getting by, and, and some have been, you know, very uh, uh, explicitly unhappy about it, and uh, that's that's really a tough situation because we're incredibly sympathetic to the business situation, but we're trying to maintain an even playing field. You know, 99% of the restaurants are kind of putting up with it, and we uh, needed to try to work specifically with those that wanted to go a little faster. Um, so it's, again, unsettled times. I'm hopeful we're going to get through this uh, quickly, and, and I'm hoping some of the federal uh, small business supports will help those restaurants that are in, in tight places and sort of help them get to uh, the next phase where business can be more open. Do you see, John, you, uh, the governor, the mayor of Denver alone, coming up with some kind of a model? Everybody's into some kind of a model, but a model for restaurants on how they can open safely and, and practice our separation. And I don't know how you wear a mask and go to a restaurant and eat. That would probably be a problem. Well, the mask probably wouldn't work, but they're actually, Murph, it's a great question. And there are a lot of good ideas circulating around. Um, again, I, the, the, the one I'm most familiar with is work that's been done by restaurant owners in Douglas County, and they've been very thoughtful about it. We've got some plans that we think look good, and I think they could be a model for other places as well. And it's it's physical spacing. It's it's you know if you're a restaurant where you got lines outside, you're going to space the lines. You're going to try to, especially during the nice summer months, you're going to try to do as much eating outside or uh, keeping windows open ventilation is probably a good thing you're certainly going to have your staff masked you're going to do really extra uh, careful cleaning uh, of uh, environmental surfaces so i think there's some great ideas out there that ought to be able to get us not where we were in january but certainly get us uh, to a better place safer and a a more vibrant uh, place than we've been for the last couple of weeks well, and I can see as more and more people are starting to get out, there's more traffic on the roads now. But with summer coming along and schools are going to be letting out and people have been hunkered down, not just in Colorado, but all around. And Colorado is such a hot spot for summer vacation. Do you see a lot of people coming to the state that we're going to have to worry about going to Rocky Mountain National Park or wherever they might be going? Well, this is a really, that's a really important question because we are – you know, we pride ourselves on it being a place everybody wants to live and visit. And, and some of our mountain communities aren't quite ready to receive an influx of people that may bring, uh, you know, new cases of infection there. So there's some carefulness about that. Um, I do certainly hope we're going to be able to get to a place when the snow melts and the mud's gone that we can get out and recreate in the parts of Colorado that really make it worth living here. Um, I think we're going to be watching carefully, try to take it a week at a time, but uh, certainly I think that's uh, quite a realistic uh, premise as we go forward. Well, that's promising in itself, and I believe I heard on the news somewhere that last weekend Breckenridge, like, totally opened up, restaurants and everything. Is that a fact? You know, I have not heard that. I know that Eagle County is doing more opening up. That's Vail um, and Breckenridge is Summit County. Uh, so I don't know that for uh, 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 Breckenridge and Summit County. I do know the mountain communities are trying to uh, open up more. And, um, again, I, I don't think that's true for Breckenridge, but I could be wrong. I do know the governor is talking about this was a big snow year. There's actually still snow up there. Yes. Potentially opening up ski uh, uh, places 
maybe after Memorial Day, which seems like, really, why would you want to ski then? But (laughs) if you didn't get to ski in in March and April, there's probably a number of people that might find that desirable. So that's not a done deal, but I know he's been interested in that concept. Well, let's hope for the best there. Uh, Another question I have, John, and I'm seeing this more in the news as well, about this new virus that's affecting kids, not only in Colorado, around the country more and more. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, it, it does appear to be a new, newly recognized manifestation, not of a new virus, but of the same COVID-19 that's been circulating. And what it appears, it, it resembles sort of a somewhat uncommon but serious illness in children called Kawasaki disease. It's been around, it's been recognized, named after doc, Dr. Kawasaki for, I don't know, 40, 50 years or so. It appears to be a situation where the immune system kind of goes haywire and begins to behave in a like an over drive fashion and and the damage that's seen is due to the sort of the immune overdrive and it can be a really serious illness so while in general we've been thinking about kids gee they don't get very sick that's good this actually does appear to be an exception we don't know how common it is i don't unfortunately doesn't look real common but it's certainly something we've got to keep our eyes on because i'd say one thing we have to say about this virus from a uh, a health impact point of view, it continues to surprise us in terms of, oh, really, it causes that? It's not just a pneumonia-causing virus. There are other ways it affects the heart. It can affect the blood clotting system. And as, as we go further in the epidemic, which, unfortunately, we'll be doing for a while, I suspect we'll be learning new things about it. Well, that's kind of a scary thing. It's about the time they start figuring out something else happens, right? It, it, it's, it, we, we certainly are going to have to be vigilant and uh, can't assume that we've got it all figured out, that's for sure. Well, and you hate to talk about what's going to happen with school as we're now just technically this week is a, probably the last week for kids to be in school and then summer. What's going to happen in the fall, especially if this new virus that's affecting children's about, do you think we're going to see them going back to the brick-and-mortar buildings? You know, uh, well, well, first to be clear, school's actually been out for a while. Most schools have not really been in session since uh the spring break time, they just have, have stayed out. Kids have been doing online learning. Right, exactly. That's uh, what I meant. And, right. and uh, you know, that's frankly been suboptimal. Uh, it's not as good a way to learn for kids. Those kids who need the social structure of school, uh, they don't get the, the services. So uh, Tri-County's been working very uh, proactively with the superintendents and the districts across our three counties. Uh, we're generating some guidance for them about what it looks like to safely get schools back going. I deeply hope we can get schools back going. When one thinks about the health repercussions of various measures that have been taken, there are clearly health repercussions to kids not being in school. So we want to work effectively with them. We want to be attentive to the new things like the the severe childhood illness to be aware of. But uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that we we can get back to something resembling in-class school by the time school uh, typically would start in in mid-August, late August or so. Yeah, it'll be a while before you have to make that decision, though, right, John? Well, again, it won't be my decision. I'll be certainly consulting and advising the superintendents. um, And, 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 you know, the governor could weigh in with some new public health order. I think he is likewise deeply hopeful of getting that back. And I'll tell you what, uh, uh, public health jobs are hard right now, Murph, but being a school superintendent (laughs) is... It's really almost really worse. They have got such a tough job, and they've got a budget problem as well as dealing with COVID. So 
these are fantastic people who I think are doing uh, great work for the community. Well, it's a tough job is right because they're trying to come up with a game plan. My daughter teaches in Cherry Creek School District, and that superintendent's got several plans on the table depending on what happens with the coronavirus. So just waiting to see what they're going to do. It's, you're right. That's a tough job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's been a great partner, uh, the Cherry Creek superintendent. And uh, uh, your your daughter is uh, is one of our heroes as well because of the fantastic work our teachers are doing. Yeah, it was funny. They were talking yesterday about how they had to start cleaning out lockers for the kids without the kids and the parents coming in. So all the teachers went back in with their masks on, went through every individual locker, packed up the stuff in the bag, put the name on the bag. The parents drove in front of the school and called, my, I'm here to get my daughter or my son's stuff, and they had to run out to the car to deliver yeah, their goods. They've, that's, been, that's a job. they've been so nimble and so improvisational. I just my, my hat goes off to the teachers. I do want to uh, pick up on one thing you said, which is that when we do go back, whether it's restaurants or whether it's uh, schools or whether it's other kind of businesses, the more we can be in a place, and not all situations are suitable for this, where we can wear masks on our face, you know, I've talked about this before. Right. I increasingly think that's going to be one of our major lifelines moving forward. Not everybody's into it. Some people have trouble breathing with it, but I do think that's a, an important thing for us to all be thinking about as part of our armamentarium moving forward. Well, the times I've gone out, and it hasn't been that much, but if you run to the store to get a little something, more and more people are definitely wearing a mask. The places you don't really see them is in your neighborhood. And they're out walking the dog, and it's still husband, wife, whatever. Nobody's wearing a mask. I don't know. How good is that? Well, you know, in all honesty, being outdoors uh, dilutes viral spread, so that's a good thing. Um, certainly, if you're walking your dog and you're passing a lot of people, that's a that's an exposure risk. If you're walking your dog and you're facing everybody's going in the same Yeah, direction. exactly. That's, that's probably a lower risk. But when people ask me about it, I do say, look, there's a small value of doing it and – you're sending an important message because the more of us that wear masks in more places, the more time, the more we're sort of really kind of normalizing it. Not because it's some political thing, but because, frankly, it's a good thing to do for community health right now. And the more of us that kind of say, hey, this is sort of part of what we're doing for a while, and we can be uh, creative and do cool and funny masks, but, uh, you know, those public places send a statement that uh, – you know, we're kind of all in, the, in this together, so I'm uh, uh, supportive of it being used in all kinds of settings like that. Well, Dr. John Douglas, let's leave it at that. Head of Tri-County Health, we appreciate the update, formerly with the CDC. Hopefully we'll have another update on what's happening in the state of Colorado with the coronavirus. You're on Mile High Magazine, and you guys have a great weekend. Thanks for listening.